0: Welcome to America's Top Rebbitzins. May this class be for Rafu Shalima from Murda Braha. I'm so happy to have on today's show, Rebbitzin Dahlia Topoloski. Rebbitzin Dahlia is a rebitson at Kahilat Pardes, the Rock Creek Synagogue, an Orthodox synagogue in Rockville, Maryland. She's also a psychologist at Integrative Therapy of Greater Washington, also in Rockville, Maryland. Thank you so much for being here. Please tell us more about yourself and what you do.
1: Thank you so much for having me. This is such a great way to start my day. Um, I think like many, I wear so many different hats. Rabbitson, psychologist, mom, wife. Um, I grew up in a wonderful community in Oceanside, which is in Long Island in New York. Um, And then when my husband and I got married in 2002, um, we lived in Riverdale, where he was the associate rabbi at the Hebrew Institute of Riverdale, and where we really learned the meaning of creating a spiritual and warm community. Um, And then we moved to New Orleans, where my husband was hired to be the rabbi at Congregation Beth Israel in the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina. Wow. And they were really, yeah, they were life-changing years. We met amazing people um, that we're still close with. And we have four kids, so our two youngest were, were born there. And we truly felt so blessed to be able to be part of rebuilding a shul and a community. And I don't know, we always think of the words of Reb Nachman of Breslov, um, which really resonate us, resonated for us when we were there and still resonate, which is if you believe in the power to destroy, you must believe in the power to repair. A hundred percent. Yeah. So as a psychologist, it was just also very meaningful for me to help families struggling with post-traumatic stress disorder in New Orleans. Um, and now we live in Maryland. Um, we just were in our ninth year, which is amazing. Um, And we live, yeah, we live in an incredible, we live in an incredible community. My husband is the rabbi of Kihilat Pardes, as you mentioned, um, which resides actually in the Berman Hebrew Academy, which is um, a modern Orthodox day school um, in the area, um, which also services DC and Silver Spring. And we're growing an amazing, warm community here. So I'm in constant awe of how everyone in our shul and in our community truly supports each other. Um, And I love hosting, which has actually been a challenge during the pandemic.
0: Yes, for sure.
1: Yeah. And I have a huge passion for singing and playing guitar and just creating women's spiritual women's programming in particular, such as Kumsitzes and women's open mics and Rosh Chodesh programs. Um, We have four children, so our oldest is actually graduating. They graduate in February and then go to Israel um so he's graduating from high school which is a big deal for us very Um, exciting my stuff (laughs) thank you and then we have a 15 year old son and then a daughter who is almost 13 and then our youngest daughter is 10 and a half so we have four um and then as you mentioned I'm a clinical psychologist I love love my practice um and I was trained in New York and I've worked in many different settings so hospitals residential schools clinics private practices. And I already mentioned um, that I, when I was in New Orleans, I worked in a clinic and in private practice. Um, and so I do both assessment and therapy, and I work with adolescents and adults and, who have been struggling with lots of different issues. So stress, life transitions, anxiety, depression, trauma, grief, perinatal and postpartum depression, other issues related to women's health. Um, and with, with helping clients, I really, really believe what Holocaust survivor and psychiatrist Viktor Frankl has taught us, which is really to help people find meaning in their lives.
0: And that's the most important thing, really, really the most important thing. You wake up with a purpose, you find a meaning in your life and you go and you do it. It really adds so much dimension to your life. It's really, really key. It's very key. Yes. Um, So today we're going to talk about a little bit um, about anxiety and depression, because as a, as a psychologist for the past two years, I mean, it must've been so, so intense for you helping people who have suffered tremendous anxiety due to the pandemic. I mean, our world is completely upside down and people were home with each other for 24 hours a day, seven days a week for weeks and even months. And there's probably The most time that couples and families have ever spent together under the same roof. And for some families, it was really a beautiful experience, like really. But for others, uh, not so much. (laughs) And many couples started arguing more with each other. Kids were fighting and there was a general unease in many homes. And a multitude of people developed serious anxiety issues due to all the upheaval and uncertainty in a world that has completely changed from what we are used to. And I want to see if you can please talk to us about what causes anxiety and what people can do to reduce the anxiety
1: that they have. Sure. I mean, yeah, these past two years, and I can't even believe we're saying two years. Yes. Yeah. um, Have been quite challenging. And while there have been many, many blessings, we all know it's so important to acknowledge the tremendous loss that we've all experienced in one way or another, right? Death, illness, grief due to loss of a job or inability to connect with people in person You know, family, shul, um, community, missing special events or milestones, graduations, weddings, vacations, and just so many different changes to our normal routine and ways of life that that typically bring connection and bring comfort. Um, So understandably, there's an increase in those suffering from anxiety and, and also depression. And anxiety isn't developed or caused, you know, by one single factor. It's a combination of things right? So you have life events such as stress from a pandemic or other unpredictable life events, stress at work, school, personal relationships, marriage, financial stress, stress from global or political issues, stress from emotional trauma, stress from death of a loved one, um, stress from a medical illness or a serious condition. And there's personality factors, there's physical health conditions, there's the effect of drugs, there's a combination of a lot of these things that could all bring on and cause anxiety. And some people who experience anxiety may have a genetic predisposition, right? And these condition can sometimes run in a family, but having a parent or a close relative with anxiety or another mental health condition doesn't mean you'll automatically develop anxiety. So it's important to just understand it could, it could be caused by so many different factors. And I think it's also important to understand that anxiety Um, which include things like panic disorder, generalized anxiety disorder, phobic disorders, stress disorders, they're different from typical day-to-day anxiety or stress, right? So, and they're the most common form of mental illness in the United States, right? When you read the statistics, it's really astounding, right? Nearly one in five adults. Um, Wow. And they can involve periods of excessive worrying or fear, which is more than you would expect from just everyday stressors. And symptoms range, right, from severe, and it could include restlessness, irritability, fatigue, confusion, trouble sleeping, and just this excess worry. And so there's the thought piece, right? And then there's the physical piece of how it affects your body. And so there's lots of different ways to reduce anxiety and learning ways to engage um, in different practices that promote self-care. And just really building your toolbox, I think could really help people Learn ways to reduce anxiety that could be life changing. So I'll just name a few, right? Yes. Um, and I'm sure you know everybody sort of knows these things, but it's helpful to to think of it as a toolbox so that when you do start to notice changes within yourself, stress level, or you know, rapid heartbeat, or exhaustion, or irritability, or different things that are signs that perhaps you're going through some anxiety, there are things that you can do to help reduce that. Um, So exercise, you know, studies show that our body actually starts producing these endorphins only after five minutes of aerobic exercise. So it doesn't even have to be for a long time. Um, And just moving your body overall or in general could decrease tension, elevate your mood and could also help sleep. I'm a big meditator and believer in meditation. So, you know, when you're anxious you're generally worrying about the past, right? Like I can't believe I did that or about the future but what you're not in is the present moment. And so meditation brings self-awareness and it brings you into the moment and relaxation exercises like deep breathing. There are so many great apps out there, right? There's Calm, there's Headspace. There's so many that could also really help. So I know that apps have been very helpful for people as well. Um, different visualization exercises, good sleep habits, nutrition Um, And I think it's also really important to to recognize that if your anxiety is impacting your functioning, knowing when to seek professional help and get therapy and really learn evidence-based strategies such as cognitive behavioral therapy. And I don't know um, if you're familiar with ACT, which is acceptance commitment therapy. So they're all different evidence-based, research-based strategies that could really help reduce anxiety.
0: Wow, that is so interesting. You know what? I, I
1: haven't heard of ACT. Can you just maybe give a brief description about what it is? I'm um, sure. ACT is acceptance um, commitment therapy. So it's just another way of really accepting and learning how to acknowledge what it is that you're dealing with so that you can make a commitment to to learn strategies to get through it.
0: Um very nice. Okay, thank you.
1: <laughs> thank you. I appreciate
0: that. And it's, it's good. It really is good to have a toolbox when you're when you're feeling stressed, just to have like a go to of something to do something to reduce your anxiety in the moment, bring you back, you know, bring you back from the past, bring you back from the future, bring you, you know, to the present moment center you. And then when you have a clear head, you could think of solutions to your problems.
1: Well, because so many people try to avoid when you have anxiety, you want to avoid it. And the more yes. you avoid it, the more it increases your anxiety. So ACT is another type of therapy, which which helps you actually acknowledge and, and face your anxiety and learn that sometimes thoughts, they're just thoughts. But right. if you realize that it's just a thought and it doesn't have to be something that causes so much distress, you learn ways to manage it.
0: Very profound. Wow. (laughs) Um, So, you know, teenagers are often a group that is overlooked when it comes to anxiety, but a growing number of teens are reporting symptoms of, of anxiety, such as difficulty sleeping, heart palpitations, jitters, and nervousness. Most teens spend their days wearing masks at school, and many can't participate in sports and other extracurricular activities due to COVID restrictions. And this is definitely a departure from the norm and not at all what the school experience used to be. And many teens are having a really hard time with all the changes taking place in their lives. And I want to see, maybe you could please tell us specifically how anxiety affects teens and what we can do as parents to help our children overcome anxiety.
1: Yes, so I'm speaking both as a mom of teens and as a mental health professional, that for adolescents whose interactions with their peers is so integral to their lives and to their development, the pandemic has been especially difficult, right? They have missed activities like team sports and being in that school play and their final semester of high school and graduations, you know, with my son's graduation in just a couple of weeks, like every day, we're like worried that we're going to get an email saying that it's. It's not going to happen. Right. Um, And even though, you know, in the past year, there, there have been a lot more in-person events. Right. And in some way we've resumed to normal activity. I mean, things have been so uncertain with all these different strains of the virus and different things happening with, with COVID that there's still so many unknowns. I feel like every week I'm getting an email saying, Oh, your kid's basketball practice has been canceled. And, So I, it's, it's just hard. As, as hard as that is for parents, it's so hard for, for the teens themselves. And so there's so much disappointment, right? Which causes more adolescent moodiness and, and anxiety and, and depression. And it's really also important, I think, to talk about the role of social media. So for many teens, social media and texting and playing video games, these all... on one hand it's been a great way right for for teenagers to connect and when they aren't able to connect in person but I actually read a, a very recent study that showed that despite all of their connection through social media teens are still not feeling connected to each other and in this one particular study it was showing that you know one in three adolescents are still gonna meet the criteria for an anxiety disorder by the age of 18, even with social media, even with all these other ways to connect. And that's that's an outstanding number. So it's so important for parents to really be aware of of signs. If we're not aware of the signs, then we don't know how to support and help our teen. So I'm just gonna talk a little bit of some symptoms that you can be aware of um, when you ask yourself, what's going on with my teenager? Because it's so hard to differentiate what's typical adolescent behavior and hmm, maybe something else is going on that I need to give them further support and get them help. So obviously looking for changes in mood that are, that are not usual for your teen, such as ongoing irritability, feelings of hopelessness or rage, um, frequent conflicts with family and friends, changes in behavior. For example, if your outgoing teen has stopped spending time or texting their friends, you know, maybe something is going on a loss of interest in different activities, right? Did your music-loving teen suddenly stop wanting to, to practice their instrument or listen to music? Did your aspiring teenage you know, chef lose all interest in cooking and baking, um, a hard time falling asleep or staying asleep, changes in appetite um, and eating patterns, um, difficulties with memory or concentration, um, less interest in schoolwork, or all of a sudden maybe you notice differences in grades. So a drop in academic effort or in, or in grades, an increase in risky behavior, um, thoughts about death or suicide or, t- or talking about it. And I think what's been really hard is that COVID, as I mentioned before, has made it really difficult to distinguish between more typical reactions to the pandemic versus severe that require intervention, right? Because it is typical for people Both adults and teens to be feeling more agitated and overwhelmed, right? And people, for example, I have a lot of clients who I work with who have OCD, obsessive compulsive behavior. And during the pandemic, it's been especially hard with fear of germs, right? But how do you distinguish? Because other people also are experiencing fears of getting sick. And so, right. So, I think it's, it's, it could be really important to remind your teen that so many of these thoughts and feelings are common and to teach them self-care strategies and different coping tools that could help them manage their symptoms. So I'll just go over just some tips, which are similar to the, some of the tips I mentioned before when we were talking about just anxiety in general, but you can discuss with your teen, maintaining, you know, a daily routine. So consistent sleep, which is not easy with adolescents, um, staying connected, like I said, with their peers, finding moments of humor, um, which we all really need. Yes. Um Yeah, and really trying to talk to people who you feel comfortable with, um, whether that's your friends, whether that's your school counselor, whether that's your parents. Um, Journaling is a great way to process and relieve um, emotions. Um, And there's a lot of very in vogue ways of journaling right now. There's bullet journaling and that's a whole, I I work with a lot of adolescents and some of them really love journaling. Um, Eating breakfast and just healthy meals in general, limiting caffeine. I've noticed that a lot of adolescents have gotten into coffee habits already True. at an early age. Um, and, you know, everyone's looking for different ways to relax and looking for patterns or be aware of situations that make you particularly worried or anxious, right? And, and once you start to recognize and become more self-aware, you can try to use relaxation techniques um, and physical activity, like we said before. So whether that's taking a walk, yoga, dance, exercise, sports, um, limiting the amount of time you spend on social media or with disturbing news that could also be very traumatic. Um, and just really engaging in hobbies and activities that you enjoy, rather, whether that's art, whether that's physical activity, music, reading, you know, chatting with friends, whatever it is. And also knowing that if you continue to feel overwhelmed and you're unable to calm down and you're feeling really anxious and not yourself going to a parent, going to an adult, and really seeking help from a mental health professional, I think is really important. Because therapy and sometimes medication and the combination of medication and therapy could be really life-changing for adolescents who really are experiencing severe anxiety.
0: Thank you. Thank you. No, it's really, really helpful information to know. And, I, you know, hopefully the parents will take advantage of what you're telling them, try to get the teens help because it is scary. It is scary to see your teen withdraw from their friends, withdraw from things that they're typically interested in. Um, which actually brings me to another question. It's not so much about anxiety or depression, but I know that you t- touched upon it a little bit earlier uh, about childhood trauma. I know that also childhood trauma, you know, the, the child could withdraw and they could kind of like come away from their friends, come away from their schoolwork, come away from the things that they're, they're typically interested in. Like, What can a parent do if they have a, a child or a teen who has experienced some kind of childhood trauma and is kind of like not willing to get out of their shell?
1: I mean, that that's hard when they're experiencing something and and not willing to get out of their shell, but I think if it really is severe trauma, I think seeking help from a mental health professional um, and getting therapy, and sometimes it's individual and sometimes it's family therapy, you know, it really depends on what the trauma is, but just knowing that there are ways to get support and out there and get support for that trauma that they can work through and learn to process because trauma really is about Helping people in general learn what their triggers are and recognizing that even though that happened in the past, you are you are safe in the present and learning techniques to help you regulate those emotions when you are triggered.
0: Wow, that's that's very insightful. Actually, I didn't know that. (laughs) Thank you. Um, So I want to talk for more about panic attacks, and those can be very very scary. What are the signs of a true panic attack, and what can a person do to stop a panic attack once it starts?
1: panic attacks could be very scary um, because there are these sudden episodes of intense fear, right. That trigger these physical reactions when there's actually no real danger or apparent cause. And so when the panic attack is happening, you might feel like you're losing control and some people feel like they're having a heart attack, right? They say that a lot of cases of people who go to the ER um, are thinking that they're having a heart attack and they're actually panic attacks. Um, And some people just have one or two in their lifetime, and the problem goes away when that stressful situation ends. But if you're someone who's had recurrent, unexpected panic attacks and spend you know long periods of time in fear of another attack, you may have what's called a panic disorder. And so panic attacks themselves aren't life-threatening, but they could be really frightening and they could really significantly affect the quality of life. But treatment is very, very effective. They, they typically begin without warning and they could strike at any time when you're in a car, at the mall, when you're sound asleep, in the middle of a meeting. Um, and they have many variations to them, but in general, the symptoms usually peak within a few minutes. And then after you might feel really exhausted and fatigued and worn out when it starts to subside. And they typically include different symptoms such as the sense of impending doom, a fear of loss of control or death, Um, rapid pounding of your heart, right? Sweating, trembling, shaking, shortness of breath, a tightness in your throat, chills. Some people get hot flashes, nausea, abdominal cramping, chest pain, headache, dizziness, lightheadedness, um, a tingling sensation or numbness, feeling detached, right? And so one of the worst things about panic attacks is this intense fear. That you're then going to have another one, um, and then people start to avoid situations right in which they might occur, and so it's important to seek help so that they don't get worse um, because they're so treatable, and many understand anxiety and panic as our body's like natural fight or flight response to danger, right? So a long time ago when we were hunters and gatherers, if if there was a bear that was coming after us, right, our body would react instinctively, and our heart rate and our breathing would speed up as our as our bodies would, would prepare for this really life-threatening situation. Um, and so if we think of it that way, our bodies still today like, have this fight or flight response. And so what can you do when you have a panic attack? And I think the number one thing is to remember that, that it will pass and to remember that you're, right, you're really not in any physical harm um, and to try to acknowledge that this is, this is brief and that it's going to be over um, panic attacks tend to reach their peak within like 10 minutes of onset. Right. And then the symptoms usually begin to subside. Um, so the next thing you can do is take deep breaths, which doesn't work for everyone. Um, deep breaths could help bring a panic attack under control, but I I like to actually tell a lot of my clients, it's very hard when someone's having a panic attack to tell them to breathe deeply. Yes. So, So it's something that I work with with clients when they're not having a panic attack, teaching them the techniques so that it becomes first, you know, first nature, um, second nature so that they could really, really use those tools when they're having a panic attack because panic attacks, they cause that rapid breathing and that chest tightness, which could, um, you know, make you feel even more anxious. So trying to slow down your breathing and concentrate on each breath, there are so many different breathing techniques, right? So, um, there's box breathing, which is, you know, holding in for breathing in slowly for holding it in for four, breathing out to four seconds, and then holding it for four again. There's so many different breathing techniques. Um, using mm-hmm. the scent technique, which is smelling something like lavender, could be really soothing and could help someone ground themselves. Yes. Find, finding a peaceful place, right? So sights and sounds can often intensify a panic attack. So, if it's possible, to find a more peaceful s- spot. So this means if you're in a busy room to try to, you could lean against a wall, just finding a spot within the busyness that is more peaceful. Um, some people, it really helps them when they're focusing on like one object and concentrating that could help a person feel, feel grounded. And grounding in general is really important when you're having a panic attack. Um, one of my favorite techniques is called the five, four, three, two, one method. So um Panic attacks often make a person feel detached from reality, and this is because the intensity of the anxiety really overtakes our senses. So, in the five, four, three, two, one method, it's a grounding technique which helps us get more in touch, utilizing our senses. Right. So, um, five. You you have to notice five things that you see, and four things that you hear, and um, three things that you um, touch that you feel two things that you smell and one thing that you taste. Wow. Um, yeah. So if I have someone in my office um, who's having a panic attack, I can do that with that, right? Um, I can say, I want you to tell me five things that you see. But if you're by yourself and you learn this method when you're not having a panic attack, you could utilize it when you are having one. And it could be really, really helpful for grounding. Um, mantras such as, it could be really simple, but just, I am safe, this too shall pass. Just reminding yourself that um, you're gonna be okay and that you're safe because you feel like you're not, you feel like there's danger. Um, And another technique could be walking or just some light exercise. Um, And again, other relaxation techniques such as progressive muscle relaxation, where you're going through different parts of your body, tensing them up, working on relaxing those muscles and visualization, picturing a happy place. It's really important um, to learn your triggers Um, and, and it's not, your triggers might not always be the same, but sometimes they are. So for some people, let's say they know they get triggered when they're in an enclosed space or in a crowd. Um, it could, if you're aware of your triggers and that could be really important for knowing when you might need to use some of your tools. Um, yeah. And I I also just wanted to, You know, I wanted to also just share a quote that I find really, really meaningful for me—not just not just for panic attacks or anxiety, but for anything that someone is going through. And that's that's Robert Frost, right? Who says that the only way out is through. Because when we avoid anxiety, I mentioned that before, it increases anxiety, it increases our distress. But as we learn to be more self-aware and we acknowledge our struggles, we find that we're less alone, and we really discover our own inner strength to cope knowing that we
0: will get through. And that's really, really powerful. Wow. I mean, I really appreciate you sharing some really, really concrete ideas for how people can go through panic attacks and not get overwhelmed by them and can really learn to control them and for controlling their anxiety in general. It's really great to really have some concrete tools for people to use and for parents to use with their children and to help their teens and young children through this, this, you know, it's not pleasant to have anxiety and, um, just knowing that there's support out there, knowing that things can be done to help control it is really, really important. So thank you. Thank you so much, Rebbitz and Dahlia, for taking the time to join us on America's Top rebbitsons We really appreciate you being here, and we hope that today's learning will be for the for the Rafua Shalema, for Murdaha Ben Braha. And if anyone in the audience would like to sponsor a future podcast, please email us at at gmail.com. Thank you so, so much.
1: Thank you for having me. Have a great day. <laughs> thank you, too.